0: and yeah, Barry, what an interesting piece of work um, ca- can you all hear me? Yeah. you can, yeah um, and we'll draw in the rest of you in, in good time but I'm just going to chat to Barry and Tony here um, a, a really interesting film and of course one of the first thoughts that spring to mind, uh, to my mind anyway, is to what extent the Michael Fla- Flaherty character may have Reflected your own experience as a wide-eyed young American arriving um, with, with probably with n- not with naivety, but with with you know fascination with the situation that was going on in Ireland.
1: Well,
2: uh,
1: yeah. Well, um, good evening. Um, first of all, I left the United States when I was twenty and lived in Italy for ten years. And. Um, And in 1970, I moved to France, and I've been outside of the United States for most of my life, so I wasn't exactly a wide-eyed American. (laughs) Uh, The political uh, situation in Italy in the 60s was very lively, you know, (laughs) and I was a student, and I had student friends who, you know, there was a lot of and a lot of revolutionary uh, organizations. Parties that later became armed with the Red Brigades in the 70s, which we call the Leaden Years. Uh, and uh, I was making films, and I started making films with uh, with assisting radical filmmaker Rui Guerra, Brazilian, actually a Mozican in birth. But, and I just got sensitized by the atmosphere and the people I was working with, you know. And uh, voila, yeah. and then. Uh,
0: so, so you were a, a highly politicized young man, but as an Italian American, what particularly interested you in, in Irish politics and the Irish political scene?
1: Well, I was aware that I was a political idealist, and um, and uh, what interested me was just to examine my own uh, vulnerability as an idealist, uh, uh, because uh, in Italy I had a couple of uh, occasions. Uh, you know, I went on a film to assist at Nanny Loy, uh, and when I came back, uh, dear friends were storing weapons in my apartment, and I thought, oh, this is getting a bit hot. And and, uh, uh, then another time I met some Greek students, and then, you know, some other stuff. There was a dictatorship in Greece at the time. And, um, you know, I was just in that bath. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was uh, very, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I started thinking about how much trouble I could get in. You know, how far did I want to take this? And moving to France was a way, to in 1970 was a way to extract myself from that. Also, but I also wanted to become a director. I wanted to write. And in Italy, I was stuck as an assistant because I spoke English and Italian. And I kept on getting hired, and, you know, that way. And I had this really great. Oh, so. But uh, really, my time with Rui and, and then just the atmosphere in Italy—you know, uh, you know—it was all theoretical. It was extraordinary for to come from California at twenty years of age and, and having hitchhiked across the United States through the South, which I encountered, which was horrifying. Uh, you know, uh, that helped me stay.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you. Weren't the first American, or indeed the first foreigner to come to Ireland and be captivated by the very tumultuous uh, history, you know, whether it was stories of the War of Independence, Civil War, or, or Northern Ireland, you know, we had Odd Men Out, and we had uh, Shake Hands with the Devil, and The Key, and Beloved and Enemy, and so, forth. were these films you had seen? Or oh yeah. Are, yeah, oh yeah,
1: but, um, you know, I had seen them like a lot of other films, but... Um, You know, I wanted to address this issue. I ran into Colin Lister. He was introduced to me. He had been uh, sent as a reporter for Life magazine to an active service uh, unit of the provost in in Monaghan, and he had come back with 600 pages of notes and whatnot, and we met. And the story started to, you know, I I started to think of, oh, that would be great, you know. I can't, I don't want to go to the Middle East to make a story about political idealism because everybody is, they're all shades of colors. But here we're dealing with most people who are, you know, white people. Not, uh, Not, you know, like, you know, so, you know, I thought that would be, get rid of the sort of the ethnicity thing and just to talk about the country. And then, you know, I started doing my research on Ireland. I did. I knew nothing. I have no Irish blood in me. I wish I did. I, I, I could, I would, you know, I've never wanted a passport more than an Irish one <laughs> from my, really, but I don't have any blood, Irish blood, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but, um, uh, so, you know, the more I started uh, getting involved, in, and, and then history was going on, I was, you know, the, Movement, of Bennett Devlin, and then I started becoming aware of it. I wasn't aware of it before, and I started reading and doing research, and I, you know, started getting pissed off. Yeah.
0: And so you spent <laughs> some time here, isn't that right? You spent yeah, yeah, um, researching way in West Cork, is that right?
1: Well, I settled down there. I did some research already from Paris, but I, I lived in West, you know, and then I went to uh, Ibiza. I wrote the outline for the script in Ibiza. Uh, uh, you know, which really helped me. And then I, uh, after a bit of research, I got sort of got the dramatic structure from from uh, the notes of Collins, and and uh, then I, uh, yeah, in West Cork, I wrote the script, and and uh, uh, yeah, you know, little by little, this it just I got more and more information. What surprised me at the time, and we're talking seventy <laughs> seven. Is that I found that everybody was uh, sympathetic to the Republican cause. Everybody, Protestants, Catholics,
2: whatever. everybody in
1: all everybody I met, which that surprised me. I thought it was you know, but I hadn't been north, and uh, so voila. So
2: yeah. I
1: thought this is good. I got a lot of help. People were very warm, and uh, you know, I knew I had a fear. I'll talk about it that. I didn't want to make a film where somebody would get injured or hurt. But as I researched and realized that the whole population was, uh, for a United Ireland practically speaking, I, I realized that I thought I would be warned if there was going to be a problem. I would at least be warned by uh, the Republican uh, armed faction. and. Uh, and it uh, didn't happen. Never happened. I was never warned. <laughs> uh, I think
0: there's something within the film. There's something very um, seamless about the the naive uh, young American, and he can uh, be, you know, he can ask questions. What is the UFF? You know, his his lack of knowledge is very helpful for a contemporary audience. Um, because you know he may be asking the questions that we, at, at a temporal remove, um, also be asking. Um, it, you know, it's a very clever device so that we can understand the situation. And I, I must say, for you know, that there, there, are, as I say, there's many Northern Irish narratives. Some of them are, are very black and white. This there's complexity here. You know, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, all of the characters, both sides, um,
1: uh-huh. appear
0: to be on principles. They're all you know playing games.
1: Five years, ten years earlier it would have been black and white, but I was mm. old enough that it's, the greys started to seep mm-hmm. in. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really wanted to expose the situation in Ireland to a big audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I never got any warnings or nobody ever said you shouldn't make this film. Mm. I think everybody wanted it exposed in a way. And in fact, I didn't go to Venice. But I didn't go to Cannes Film Festival because the director of the festival, jean Jacob, asked me to cut ten minutes, and I told him to go to hell. <laughs> uh, so I went to Venice. Uh, Venice Festival, and the Italians. Now that's seventy-eight, seventy-seven, not seventy-nine. They were already full into the Liani di Piombo, uh, the Leaden Years, and uh, they know a lot about, you know, arms. Struggles and, and uh, you know, manipulations by political entities in power or out of power or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they, I was received like, you know. Actually, Lizzani made me feel like they were very happy to meet uh, uh, an, uh, an, Amer- uh, an Italo-American who wasn't from Sicily. <laughs> 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 who, who was, uh, my origins are in Lombardy and Como. Mm. So, uh, voila. <laughs> it was like that.
0: <laughs> Can I draw you in, Barry? Um, and
1: yeah. th- This man, without this man, the film would have been made. He covered my back in every sense. He's the real producer.
3: That's I'm still here covering his
1: back. <laughs> 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 yeah, and he's got a lot of stories that I never even was aware of.
0: Yeah, you were shielded I from. I think you yeah. should. Yeah. Well, I, I just... First, want to ask you, Barry, just about... Um, did the challenge of, of shooting a Northern Irish story in nineteen seventy nine, like where, you, you didn't do all your shooting in Northern Ireland, did you? What, did how did you get? None the shooting
3: in Northern Ireland. Not just
1: the exterior. just the
3: the exterior of uh, the POV from the car. Yeah. And then we brought that car down south and shot the. Interior here.
0: And was that sequence? Was that shot undercover? Was that um, yes, hidden sort of, camera? Yeah. Pretty much.
1: Well, yeah. you know, a camera on the shoulder inside of a car in Belfast at that time looked like a bazooka. Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> you, know, so you have to be yeah. careful. Yeah. So and uh, we couldn't take Craig North because we couldn't get insurance.
0: Uh huh. I see. So, so yeah. And so so how did you get over that hurdle?
3: Um, well, we turned ringsend into Belfast. And uh-huh. um, with the complicity of the residents, most of them, and huh? um, it became it? quite difficult at night when, you know, people were barricaded into their houses with um, <laughs> corrugated iron. So we had a few interesting evenings after the pub closed <laughs> with the returning <laughs> residents. <laughs> Is
0: there anyone here from Ringsend?
1: End?
0: Hey. <laughs> yeah.
3: they, they, they were very tolerant. Mm. Um, fantastic! I had to stand up in front of the the community to get permission to shoot there
0: mm.
3: because I was being Irish enough to do that.
0: Yeah. and you weren't you weren't the first person to use Ringsend for Belfast? Or, are you were? I you think perhaps? possibly
3: we were. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, and you've started quite a trend. I mean, it's not uncommon now. Those those uh, the streets, the the. Tiling on the streets and so on—it stands in for Belfast very well.
1: Same architect, same
0: architect, right? I see, I see. And were there were there challenges with the provision of firearms and uh, in in the shooting? Yes, we had a lot
3: of. Well, we had to go through a lot of hoops to be allowed to bring firearms into the country. Mm -hmm. And the Irish Army were very helpful. And Seamus Smith, who is here tonight, Seamus is here. Yeah. um, He as. his connection with Ardmore Studios and the government, he was very helpful in opening many paths for us to to bring in guns, real yeah. guns.
0: And tell me, so just winding back, if you'll forgive me Tony, just for looking at it from an Irish <coughs> film perspective, um, 1979 there isn't a, a fully established Irish film industry. Was the idea of a, a, a foreign film coming in that would employ a number of actors and crew and so on? Was that very exciting? Did you jump in it with open arms or how was well, it? Well, you know, to...
1: I, uh, I brought uh, uh, Aronovich uh, uh, with me because he had been uh, the cameraman of uh, uh, Ruy Guerra's, Ruy Guerra, who did Ostrzy, That's a Key film in cinema Brazilian cinema novo, and uh, and then he lived upstairs, and his daughter started babysitting my baby daughter, and we got, became friends. And uh, and actually, it's Rui and uh, uh, Ricardo that put me on to Sterling Hayden because they would made Sweet Hunters
0: uh-huh. together.
1: Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, and tell us about Sterling just, Hayden. Just,
0: I mean, he was well. A giant
1: he was of in a... he was in Sweet Hunters and Ricardo and. Uh, and uh, Rui told me go, go and check out Sterling Hayden. He was li- I was living in Paris on Rue de Seine, and he was living on a barge under Pont Neuf, about 200 meters away. <laughs> That's where he lived, right? So I said, okay. I you know I mean, he'd worked for Kubrick, and you know I mean I thought he wouldn't he would brush me off. I really did think that.
0: Was he
1: kind of down on his luck, then, if he was living in a barge? Or? No, 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 no. no. A he's sure a sailor. He's <laughs> a, he is. Oh, I see. <laughs> as a, he's the man's a sailor. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so I had an 8 o'clock appointment under Palm Neuf on this barge, and I walked down Rue de Seine, and as I got to the parapet overlooking the Seine, I could see the barge, and I saw Sterling waiting for me on the— you know, Sterling was like two meters tall, mm-hmm. you know? He was a big man and he had red sunglasses on and, uh, and he was waiting for me. And, uh, and so I got down and, and, uh, and when I got, you know, 30 meters away, he said, Are you Tony? And I said, Ahoy, you know, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, uh, I got onto the barge. He grabbed my hand and he said, What a, what a script. What an incredible script. And he was shaking my hand. Hear this, you know. Fantastic actor that had been in direct, all the films of the directors that I was crazy about, and this this guy is complimenting me like this, and he said, "You wrote it about me, right?" And I, I said, "No, you know." And we got inside the barge, and he gave me a a glass of whiskey that was a bit bigger than that. But he took one too, and we sat down and drank the whiskey. And he told me why he thought that because you know uh, I don't know we you know Sterling Hayden's story, but. Um, he uh, was a, a special forces guy in the Second World War, going from across the Adriatic with the British, British also, and Tito's partisans. They were taking out German sentry uh, posts with bow and arrows, you know, radar things and whatnot. And he got uh, very close to the, Tito's group of partisans in uh, Montenegro and, and, and southern Yugoslavia. And they were all communists, of course, and so when he came back to New York, he joined the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when McCarthy came along, um, they threatened that he was going to lose his kids if he didn't give names. And he gave names. Now, I didn't know any of this. And the poor man suffered, and I think, you know, so much because he gave names and he never forgot that. And so that came out in our conversation. That's why he thought that I'd written it for him, that he was a traitor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he took that to his grave, that, that suffering. Uh, you know, wonderful man. You know, when I look at the film now, I think of all these actors. God, I would have liked to have made 10 films with those
0: guys. Mm-hmm. Well, let's <laughs> you know? talk about the Irish cast. I mean, there's an yeah. the extraordinary lineup of, of all of the great and good at that time in, in Irish theater and Irish cinema. Oh. Um, You know, every performance uh, is, you know, alive on screen, Um, many of them are here with us now. Um, I mean Barry, do you have any particular reminiscence of of who came along to act or uh, how the the casting process worked?
3: Well, the casting process took place in juries and the one abiding memory I have of it is that after Tony would interview the person. he would. They would then have to stand in the bath in the bathroom, so that he could take a you know, neutral background, and mm-hmm. so he could take a polarized too as an <laughs> aid memoir. So we were traipsing people in and out of the bathroom. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and did you have to? Did all of them have to audition? Or were you familiar with any of their work?
1: Melancholy. I I, did, I don't think they auditioned. I didn't ask no, them was... to read. I, I interviewed them. I got the feel, you know, yeah. and they had some knowledge of the script. And uh, I have to say something right away is I have the feeling often that I didn't direct the film. Everybody knew who they were. All of those actors knew who they were. All I had to do is say, is the dialogue okay? Yeah. They all... Ray McNally, Tobin, everybody told me, oh, it's okay, but I always checked about the dialogue because that's where I had a doubt. Mm-hmm. So you can see there was a complicity in the film. Everybody knows who they are, and I think that's a secret that, you know, it's been other directors have talked about that. When, it, when you get the right people with the right story in the right place with the right costume on and, and just the right tempo and whatnot, they can tell their own story through the characters.
0: Yeah. Barry, you you had a memory of of Neil Tobin being interviewed, is that right?
3: I listened to a a radio interview with him um, many years back, and um, I'm pretty sure my memory is correct, that he said that The Outsider was his best achievement as an actor on film.
0: It's a really fine performance, and we'd like to welcome... Neil's family here uh, today, and they are. There's there's many of the family here, and and to express our our condolences to you all. Yes, I do.
1: What a beautiful man.
0: Yeah, what a fine performance. (laughs) Shall we? Invite some of uh, any member of the audience or anybody who was. Is, is there any member of the audience who isn't in the film? <laughs> 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 no, yeah. sorry, yes, Can you. i just ask you what,
4: how was the film received uh, in, in Ireland and also in England? And has it ever been shown on British television or anything? Because uh, it's a film that's hard to find, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I'd like you to talk about that. Good
1: question. Uh, well, uh, I was uh, uh, to be in the, uh, uh, the London Film Festival, right, about uh, two, two weeks after uh, uh, Mountbatten was assassinated and the film was yanked from the, the, the festival at that point. I don't know. I think it played in Bloomsbury, uh, you know, uh, a couple of times in one cinema, but it didn't start off as it should have uh, uh, and that was that. Uh, uh, i don 't know what happened in Ireland if it was distributed. I had such a different about with the distribution and, and with the, after I finished the film, you know, the Americans deemed it to be a political film. Uh, it's not just that't you know, but they put it in that category, a difficult film, an art house film, or something like that. i don 't know, you know, except that Michael Eisner, the, who was the head of Paramount later became the head of Disney, saw a projection. His wife walked out halfway through in Paris saying, I didn't come to Paris to see this kind of depressing stuff. <laughs> but he told me afterwards that it looked like twice the money on the screen that I'd done, which is the biggest compliment you can get from one of those guys. It's okay? it's so <laughs>
0: lavish in, in its locations. You know, the fact that you're here in our, you're in Dublin and Drogheda and Belfast and Detroit. Um, I mean, the, the, I think the final scene, it's really interesting. To understand the situation going on in Northern Ireland and to see it in the context of international experience. Um, and, and that's unusual, I think, in these kinds of films that you would have that by location. Um, so, you know, it, I, I can understand why it, it would have had some kind of uh, currency in the United States as well. Do we have another question? Yes. Hi,
2: my Sheila. Hi. I am mean, he daughter, and he uh, you know, often talked about it, but we've never seen it. And um, what strikes me about this film is that it was ahead of its time. And that, you know, it was about death death and whatever. And that actually, I think that there's actually an audience for today because with the EU and with Brexit looming and with all of the problems, you know, the current young generation have forgotten what it was like. And I think this film could be a very, very timely reminder of what could be on our, our horizon, because there's a complacency in Ireland today, and that this film was a very stark reminder of a reality that we, as a society, I think, have actually packaged. So dare I say it, it's like a good wine; it has improved with age. Okay.
1: Well, <laughs> I would say one thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Right. Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when I first came to Ireland in the mid-70s, you know, uh, the, the, the way that it's changed since it belonged to the European community, you know, it's just astonishing, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, that's all I can say about that, and I hope everybody, nobody ever leaves the, that union and it gets bigger. I'm a fervent uh, believer in that because I've seen the decrease in violence and there's other stuff that's going on, but anyway, Yes.
5: Unfortunately, I remember Belfast in 1972, and it was horrendous. And I have to say, I totally disagree with this woman. I do not want to remind my grandchildren
2: Ah. of this. I I want my grandchildren to know Belfast as it is now, with
5: Titanic and the the W-whatever, and the waterfront theatre, and all of those things, and the new housing, and no being searched going into shops, being searched going into museums, being searched everywhere. I do not ever, ever want my grandchildren to know this. I want my grandchildren to think of Northern Ireland as okay, it's another place, but they go up and down and up. And then, um, and we've had how many years now of twenty of, of just being able to drive up to Ury or drive up yeah. to Belfast or drive up to the waterfront, and I never want anybody to remember this. It was horrendous. Thank you. And it Thanks. is something I hope we never have to see again.
6: Here, here. thank
0: you. Here, here. Here, here, Jerry Johnson.
6: Yeah, uh, I. Would, I I remember Tony doing the effects for you on the film. Um, I, I totally agree. I think I think sort of this today, I wouldn't sort of be encouraging sort of the film to be seen. I think it's a great film that should uh, go into history, mm-hmm. um, and also as well as that just that I made a film and I don't know what the budget was, but it looked great for what the budget was at the time. After that, before that, I did many films on the Northern Ireland, creating havoc. That's my job, <laughs> right? um, But uh, just to go back to what you said about there was no, very little of the film industry happening before the 70s. I came in in the, I came in the late 60s, and the 70s was very busy for me making films, uh, right from the, the late 60s Right through the 70s into the 80s. So, a lot of people often think that the oh, film industry only started about 20 years ago. film industry started in the late 60s, the middle 60s. There's a film called The Blue Max. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. I suppose you meant the Indigenous Irish film. So, th- th- I know that Ardmore so, yeah, was very meant, busy.
6: Uh, you know, the, the Indigenous <coughs> Irish film was, most of the crews are Irish on the films. So, it's not as if like we're we went around making films there. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's a lot of people around today who worked on a lot
1: of those films. It's a well, fantastic experience. Hold on. Uh, w- when I came, uh, Borman was already here because mm-hmm. I went.
6: Yeah, he,
2: he came night
1: in the late in the late sixties, early 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sixty-nine. So, just, so you know. Yeah.
6: Yeah, I worked for John many times. Yeah, okay.
0: yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, yes, Miss Ms.
5: Hi there, thank you very much. I, I, I really appreciated that film. My husband was in
0: it. Could I trouble you to speak up? Sorry, thank you. Sorry.
5: my husband was in the film.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, he really loved working with me. His name is Nile O'Brien. Oh, okay. And um Did you hear that? Yeah, I didn't. It's Nile O'Brien's Brown's wife, wife Nile O'Brien. Oh my He's yeah. Okay. Plant. somewhere more interesting. But anyway, I wanted to say how much I enjoyed working with you and how much
5: I enjoyed that film. And Talking about the should it be seen, should it not be seen by grandchildren, I recently watched La Strada with my daughter, and even I was shocked at films I'd seen twice before mm. at how poor and blown up Italy was. Mm. Like, we never think of that now. Mm-hmm. I d- you don't think it I don't
1: understand. Of that,
5: and I wouldn't I be able to see what a terribly tragic uh, uh, period it was, yeah. you know, and how helpless.
2: And I really thought I came across a friend and the late
0: Nile O'Brien was her husband. But she was, just, we were, she was just chatting about um, the La Strada, having watched La Strada and being surprised at the devastation that's uh, visible in the film, and that you know these these films. You know, they stand as really valuable records of a history, of a legacy.
1: Well, this is what I came, uh, I came to Rome in 1960 and, uh, and uh, you know, just by, you know, I mean the, the, Dolce Vita was first run, Visconti was going, Pasolini followed, Fellini was making the films, Bolognini. I mean, it was fantastic. And I started working with at- Alberto Lattuada, who had been at the re- beginning of uh, neo-realism. And uh, I mean, I got educated by those people and watching those films. And I can tell you, in the audiences, there were arguments. I mean, there were audience- there were theaters with two thousand people in them, and-, and people were having no, no, sanity, no. You know, it was. I couldn't believe it. I just came from California. I said, "What are these people? They're crazy." You know, but I saw a lot of beautiful films and a vitality in the industry that was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed its tail and followed along. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: uh, we have two up the back. Um, you, it will take you both.
1: <laughs> Sorry,
0: uh, my
4: name is Dennis. I'm one of
1: the. Uh, yes. <laughs> The the child child one of those guys with the bombs, <laughs> <laughs> one of those guys um, with the Molotovs. <laughs> my
4: youngest daughter found out last night, and I thought I told her a few years back that I was a child actor. And uh, I can't wait to buy that, and am sure, because I'm proud of it. I was a child then, and I don't think nothing should be hidden. History is educational. If you just left, or like an American, stayed in America, you didn't travel the world, you'd never hear of Trouble's acts of Civil War whatever. So for you to come over and make that film and show it tonight, I, 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 why did it take 42 years for me to see that? Yeah. Yeah. So I just say thank you. Thank you.
2: historic document to have, and uh, I think it's important to show what it was like back then so that, you know, where where we could end up if we're not careful in a conflict like that again. I also thought one of the great things about it was that it didn't glorify the nationalist cause. It showed it. Barely. It showed it with uh, the microphone And we have a a tendency to glorify uh, the people of 1916 and any of the freedom fighters, regardless of the atrocities of those times. And I think that's one thing I like about the movie, that it didn't. It showed the nasty side of the nationalist uh, freedom fighters as well as the British side. Did you hear that, Tony? Basically, yeah, well. You
3: had a balanced
1: approach. Well, yeah. as, as, as I said, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. As I said, by the time I, the age I was at, I, the greys started entering into the picture. Mm-hmm. And very key scene for me was the Army Council, seven members. So I tried to give all the different colors. There's a Marxist there from Belfast who says, we'll have to be dealing with these bastards. You know, and, and uh, there's all colors. Uh, in that, uh, so I tried to balance it that way. Uh, But, you know, I think it's rather significant that uh, it was yanked from the London Film Festival. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very different seeing it then than today, and uh, I don't believe in censorship at all uh, for anything. You know, uh, uh, I think that uh, whatever worth this film has, in a historical sense, it shouldn't be, you know, it should be shown, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's true, I got as close as I could to it. Mm Uh, you know, thanks,
0: Tony. Can you, uh, Sorry, can you? Could you talk a, t- a bit about the music? There's very interesting use of music. So, some big orchestral scores, some intimate songs, and so on.
1: Well, uh, uh, I met Mary Black, who's present. <laughs> I forget who introduced us. I think it was Peggy Jordan. Peggy Jordan. That's right. 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 She would come to our house in Glanagiri and sit on the couch and sing a cappella. I couldn't believe it. I wanted to change the film into a musical.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Ken Thorn, who's no longer with us, who was an award-winning uh, you know, English uh, composer, did the score. and um, He was just right, we just clicked it all. You know, it was, I mean the, the thing that's extraordinary, because I've worked on a lot of films in other capacities, and made films, uh, shorter films. But uh, the thing that's ex- extraordinary is that everybody just sort of under- fit in. We were, we all became a kind of a, a family of some sort. It's strange. I Ken asked me one thing. He said, "What's your favorite instrument?" I said, "Cello." He said, "Okay, that's all he needed to make the score that he made." You know, and uh, and you know, there it goes. You know. We
0: take another question.
1: Yes,
4: I just wanted to say that um, I saw the film when it came out first.
1: Ah, you did, and it
4: made such an amazing impression on me that it has remained with me. And in the past two years, I've started looking up to see where can I find this film again because I felt it did portray in brutal reality what was happening. Now, I had been, my father had been born in Belfast, a Belfast Protestant. Through circumstances of history, he ended up down south, and I ended up being a Southern Catholic. But I always had a fascination with Belfast, and in 1972, at the height of the Troubles, I brought my then girlfriend, now my wife, up on a tour, up the Falls Road, across the Springfield, and down the Shankill. And I remember there was, again, the (laughs) the military vehicles, the Army Pig, with a soldier with an SLR rifle pointing at the two of us as we came up. And he said, you know, she jumped in behind me, and she said, why is he pointing the rifle at, at us? And I said, because any time now somebody could shoot at him. And the British soldier just grinned because he realised she was sort of new to the area. He said, it's no good, love, it'll go through him and get you anyway. Mm. (laughs) But again, the brutal reality, that film portrayed it perfectly. And as I said, it was something that it was by chance I happened to find on. it was on again tonight. And I'm so delighted that I'm able to at least hear and understand the thinking behind it. I think it needed an outsider like you mm. yes. to come and portray to the Irish people what we were doing to ourselves.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was where, where did you see it in, when you first saw it?
0: I'm certain I saw it in, it was
4: either Dublin or Cork, because okay. uh, we were living well, in Cork, Cork, we came back it? to Dublin in 1980, but I the certainly <coughs> wasn't on a Dublin. I saw it in a, a Was it in
0: somewhere? the Cork Film Festival? There is a
3: possibility it may have been at the Cork Film Possible. Festival. I'd yeah. well, mm.
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I just like to say that the drive north in the red Volvo, the orange Volvo, I took. So I went through all those checks oh, yeah. and whatnot. And I saw when we were stopped how the British soldiers were scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The U.V.F. and those guys were scary. <laughs> so I tried to. I did the the the, the 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 that all that thing, and I was with Giorgio Gentili, who was very dark Italian, and um, our driver that that car that Volvo came from the short strand. So the army knew the car and knew who should be in the car and who was driving it. Once you got to the other side, and we had a check and and uh, with the UVF, I guess, and uh, that we got through the check because we said we were ma- making a film and whatnot. And that's you get by with murder with that way, and uh, and uh, we take off. And Giorgio says to me, uh, says in Italian, I think, uh, or you know. What was that about? And the driver, who was from the short strand, said, well, they're trying to find out whether they're Catholics or Protestants. And he said, well, you tell them that the next patrol, tell them that I'm an agnostic Jew. <laughs> and, and and the driver said, well, they'll be asking you if you're a Catholic one or a Protestant one." <laughs>
0: Folks, I'm afraid. I think we just have time for one more question.
2: Yes. You can buy the DVD. I only got it
4: lately. There, a couple of years ago. Uh, I've been looking for for a few years because I'm the young guard who walked down the main street in Blackrock. Of course, you are. And uh, I've been dying to see myself on film. So I've been trying for years to get it. And the first I heard about it was a a friend of mine in Canada rang me uh, and said.
0: I've just seen you on a
4: <laughs> film in Canada. So it's I've never seen it here before, but it is available now to everyone if anyone okay. wants it. It's I got it on Amazon, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So there you are.
0: But I'd say it's a big thrill to see yourself that big yeah. on screen. Oh, yeah, and yeah, a lot skinnier, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of younger, skinnier people on screen tonight, but I—that I, there are many of you in the audience. Is there any cast members who'd like to... I, I see a colleague of mine, Paul Markey, um, who's usually our projectionist, but he's away from the help tonight because he was in the film.
2: I'm um, one uh, the kids were running around the streets at End. Yeah. Um, my dad's already seen that. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, we worked on that for uh, a very short I couldn't believe it was 1979 that came out, but it's a shock to me that my um, memory was eight years old. I do think it got released. I do remember because it was called Michael yeah. when it was made. And I do remember I was I was going looking at cinema listings. Uh, even to Today, but, uh, I do remember it popping up as on the cinema print, the In out. Dublin in... Yeah. Oh, okay. no, no, Not in Los He was in Scream Cinema
0: uh, yes. in oh. uh, sure. mm. Okay. Oh, so it did have a release. Well that's sorry,
4: can I just ask one quick last question? It's just the uh, the casting of Craig Watson. I'd just like to know a little bit about uh, how how you found him. I know he was in Go Tell it to the Spartans which was one of the best anti-Vietnam films ever made, I thought. But uh, uh, how he reacted to the Irish actors and and the whole scene here?
1: Well, he he was a bit out out of water. He was 24 when I cast him. I went to L.A. I was trying to see Richard Gere, but uh, uh, Richard Brooks wouldn't let me see the rushes. And the casting director directed me towards uh, um, uh, Craig. And uh, and that's how it happened, Uh, you know. My wife thought uh, that he, we resembled each other. She accused me of that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I'm a a poor. I had to work
3: with both of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, actually, I'd been kicked out of a big, fluffy office in, in Hollywood in the studios because somebody was in a power play of some sort. And I said, fine. And um, a producer in the, uh, who was an old time producer said, Anytime the big boys give you trouble, come down see me. And I actually cast did my casting inside of a room filled with film cans and, and, you know, practically boxes to sit on. So it was appropriate. I felt embarrassed in the big Hollywood scene seeing young actors who wanted to be a, a revolutionary. At you
0: least you didn't <laughs> put them in the bathtub, though. No, no, I didn't. Have, no, no. <laughs> Okay, guys, I'm afraid we're going to have to wind up because there's another film coming in. I have a funny feeling Mr. Leraski would be quite happy to continue this chat downstairs.
2: Sure, sure. No so,
0: um, thank, thank you all for
2: Oh, and sorry, one, one
0: final thing. Um, this is a very special day, not just because it's the 40th anniversary, it is also the 80th anniversary of the birth of Mr. Tony oh, yeah. Leraski. <laughs> Happy birthday, Tony. Thank you.